You are listening to Booze, Bullshit, and True Crime. I'm Bree. I'm Wade. And we're going to talk about some gnarly shit, as always. Always, always. So, Wade isn't feeling 100% tonight. No, I ate too much food. <laughs> My tummy's too full, and I'm irritated. It was good food, but I lost a drinking buddy, so I just went and took, like, three shots of Jack Daniels to my face by myself. Yeah, she's going solo dolo on the drinking part tonight, but mm-hmm. still be good. <laughs> well, this week we thought we would do one of my favorite shows as a theme for the episode, and that would be Snapped. Kind of frightens me that her favorite show is Snapped, but at this point I'm kind of too far committed to give <laughs> up, so... We're going to see how it plays out. I don't know why I love it so much. I just Because do. it's crazy murder stories and people that just snap. Yeah. I mean, anything involving true crime or murder, I kind of dug, so it wasn't just snapped. But True. If you've never seen the show, you can fuck right off and we can't be friends. <laughs> <laughs> because it's amazing. I think they show it on, like, what is it, Oxygen? Yeah, it's Oxygen Channel. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, really, though, you should go watch an episode or two because it's intense. So both the stories we did today were episodes featured on Snapped. Um, I did a little bit of background on the show itself and kind of what it's about in general. Um, I remember spending many of evenings with my mom watching the show when we still lived up in Shaver. Um, my mom really loved this show too, which my dad, you know, didn't love. <laughs> um, so the show itself, Snapped, is an American true crime television series. And, it, oh, we were right, it does um, air on Oxygen. Snap debuted on August 6, 2004, and it's produced by Jupiter Entertainment. The series depicts high-profile or bizarre cases of women accused of murder. Each episode outlines whether the motivation for murder was revenge against a cheating husband or lover, a large insurance payoff, or the ending to years of abuse, with each murderer's circumstances as unique as the woman profiled. Um, a few episodes have centered around male perpetrators. I did see a couple of those, but these have been rare in the series' history. However, a large number of episodes have featured men who conspired with the central female perpetrator in the crime. And Killer couples. Yeah. And they did a really good job. Like, I feel like every single episode of Snapped I watched, each case had, like, a really unique aspect to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. They picked picked some odd ones. They did. And that's the kind of shit I like. The series features nonfiction narratives of people who have committed murder or attempted murder or have been accused of committing or attempting to commit murder. (laughs) Blah, 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 blah. Often the target is the individual spouse. The program is edited in a documentary style using a central voiceover narration by actress Jodie Flader, 
as well as interviews with people in possession of first-hand knowledge of the case, including law enforcement officials, lawyers, journalists, friends, and family members of both the victims and the accused, and at times the criminals or the victims themselves, which my episode, because I took all of my notes like off the episode on the way home from Grass Valley, this week Wade drove the last half and I stuck my headphones in and just like took handheld notes and the only notepad we had was uh like baby tiny small small a baby tiny small small yes that's what kind of notebook it was look at it it's right here it's a baby tiny it's a small notebook small. it's little it's a notebook <laughs> it's little so i have like pages and pages and pages but she has like one full regular page of notes yeah but it's like a dozen <laughs> little tiny baby pages um god damn it yep that one <laughs> so the pilot episode that aired in august 2004 was celeste beard johnson who is accused of convincing her lesbian lover which nowadays we would just call her her lover but I think this wiki page was last edited a while ago. Tracy Tarleton to shoot her wealthy fourth husband, Stephen Beard, and their Austin mansion in October 1999. Her this wealthy fourth husband? is in, like, that's her fourth husband? Yeah. Okay. So she, uh... What happened to the other three? I don't know. That wasn't my case. Oh. <laughs> okay. I should have looked into it. But it happened. Dude got shot. <laughs> <laughs> he died. Um, the series is currently in its 24th season of production. It is, by all <coughs> accounts, the longest-lived series on Oxygen, which, like, ooh, burn, but accurate. I, I, that's the only series I ever watched on Oxygen, I think. What? Huh? What series? Snapped. Snap's the only thing I ever, like, watched on Oxygen. Oh, I've watched so much shit on Oxygen. I'm one of those weird people. You have or your mom has and you were there? I have. Oh. Is it bad? No, I just don't even know what else they show besides Snapped. Movies. Okay, yeah, obviously. <laughs> and they're lame. You're so cute. They're not lame. You just don't appreciate B-rated and C-rated films like I do. I do, but not, like, rom-coms. It makes me feel like I could be an actor. That's why I like watching them, because I sit there and I'm like, oh, I could act way better than this. this you guy can sucks. be an actor, babe. I believe Thanks. You. Okay, so, show has had 24 defined seasons. It's been in production for 14 years, so that is a fucking long-ass time. 24 seasons? Yeah. God fucking damn it. Yeah, they have a whole list of everything on Wiki, too. You can see every season, uh, every episode. I, <laughs> yeah, I did, like, season 10, and I was like, yeah, that's, like, the most recent season. 24. And 24. I don't know when the last time this Wiki page has been updated again, so who knows? There might be more. And they've had two spinoffs, too, so, like. Is this Jade Flander girl still the narrator? I think so. She has to be making bang. Right, at this point. Jesus. 24 seasons. The only job she has. That would be... I talk about murders. <laughs> I say this every episode, but dream job. Dream job. <laughs> dream job. We are working our dream job. True, actually, I'd much rather hike around in the woods. Mm-hmm. And do murder in my spare time. True. 
So I have this little ice thingy because it's really hot in our house and it feels really, really good. So I'm sorry if it like muffles my voice, but I don't fucking care. It's so fucking hot. It's so fucking hot. It's so fucking hot. And we're going to have to hike around in it this week. That's gonna be over a hundred. I honestly think we're being little pussies because it's like it's uh, okay. It's like seventy-eight degrees in our house, but whatever. I hate it. Um, this show has outlasted the seventeen defined seasons and thirteen years of the second longest series, Bad Girls Club, that I guess is on Oxygen. And have you not seen Bad Girls Club? No. She serious? Yeah. Okay. Is it awesome? Would I like it? I wouldn't say it's awesome, <laughs> but it's awesomely horrible. Yeah, exactly. That's what I meant. Sorry. Excuse me. <coughs> Bless you. Oh, why, thank you, bad girl. Oh, my goodness gracious. Just continue with your notes. I, now I don't know where I was in my notes. You, right there. It went right all the way up to the top. Okay. You're at Bad Girls Club. <laughs> now let's talk about, it's called Meridicide. And I touched on this a little bit in the episode, what, the, what was it, Till Death Do Us Part. Um, but I focused more on, like, Eroxicide is what it's called, yeah, which is, wife kills. yeah, the man killing the wife. And now we're going to focus on the wife killing the man, which is Meridicide. And it literally means killing of one's husband or romantic partner. It can refer to the act itself or the person who carries out the act. Used in, um, oh wait. Used in current common law. <laughs> Terminology as gender neutral for either spouse or significant other of either sex. So this one's kind of like a unisex term. How am I falling along more than you are with your own notes? I have more whiskey in me. No, I'm trying. That's true. The killing of a wife is called uh, uroxide, which is what I was saying earlier. Um, let's see. Under English common law, killing your wife was a petty treason until 1828, which is so horrible. And it was altered under the Treason Act of 1790. The punishment was to be strangled and burnt at the stake after that. Wow. Yeah, pretty intense. Did you know that uh, the sane rule of thumb, where that came from? No. I learned this from Brunock Saints. Okay. So, back back in the Dizzy, it was okay to beat your wife with a stick that was no thicker than your thumb. Oh, I think I have heard that before. Yeah. I don't know if that's accurate. Again, like I said, I learned that from Boondock Saints, mm. which is a really good movie, but at the same time, I don't know how accurate it would be. We can Google that shit. We could. We have, like, two computers sitting in front of us and two smartphones, and we have the capability. Yeah, but let's continue. Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, shoot down my fucking ideas. Statistics cited by the AC... LU and the Women's March suggest a wide gender gap in sentencing. The average prison sentence for men who kill their female partners is two to six years, which what the fuck? The illustration here takes the midpoint of those values. Um, by contrast, women who kill their partners are sentenced on average to 15 years. 
So there's quite a big uh, gap there in sentencing. Despite its widespread use, the statistic is dated that I just went over with you. It was first published by the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence in 1989. Oh, I have hiccups. I'm sorry. It remains true that most women who kill their partners cite self-defense as a motive. In fact, 70 to 80 percent of incarcerated women report intimate partner violence. But there doesn't appear to be any recent analysis of sentencing to see if this gender gap in sentencing remains the same. And I'm not laughing at that statistic. I'm laughing because Wade's putting his fucking frozen thing on me while I'm trying to talk. I thought it was perfect timing. Thank you. <laughs> um, since the statistic was first published, one of the clearest changes in the U.S. prison system has been the dramatic increase in women's incarceration rates. Research also suggests that women are given harsher punishments when they have committed crimes that are perceived as more masculine, such as murder. 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 Yes, please. More recent statistics from other countries suggest that intimate partner violence committed by men continues to be treated with leniency. In Ireland, men who are convicted of manslaughter of current or former partners serve an average of 2.8 years less time in jail than other men convicted of the same charge against people who were not their partners, which I don't really understand why that could be. Because people understand that it's hard to live with women. Oh, my God. That <laughs> I'm is sorry. Not funny. I'm kidding. That is so fucked up. We are talking about victims today. My bad. Uh, actually, my girl's a fucking badass, and she comes out on top, so... My girl's a lunatic. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yours will be better. So, I'm going to go first, then? Sweet. You can, yeah. Changing it up. Totally yeah. But let me try and blast through these background notes, and then... Yeah, you're taking forever. We're already, like, 13 minutes in. Oh, my God! Don't put pressure on me. Oh, the pressure is on. Feel it. <gasps> Feel it all. Most homicides committed by women... <laughs> 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 Most homicides committed by women against abusive partners occur during an actual physical confrontation, and these cases can proceed under normal self-defense rules. However, in a major or in a minority of situations, battered women kill their sleeping abusers, and sometimes declare that their actions were necessary to prevent future serious bodily harm or even death. While some American jurisdictions allow a jury to consider self-defense when a battered woman has committed a non-confrontational homicide, many do not because any threat from a sleeping abuser is regarded as non-imminent. Which, yeah, you can, like, slip out the door. I get that. This disparity in self-defense law results in varying outcomes for battered women defendants in homicide trials. For self-defense to justify a killing, the defendant must have genuinely and reasonably believed that the use of deadly force was necessary to protect herself from an unavoidable, imminent threat of death or serious bodily harm. So that's like with any other, like, self-defense, you know, case. Well, yeah, there has to be, yeah, there has to be cause. Right, you have to, like have had no other choice. And the shit that happened four weeks ago and you're okay from now can't be your case to kill your sleeping husband is pretty much what they're saying? Correct. Gotcha. Correct. Evidence on battered woman syndrome, um, it's also called BWS, a theory describing the effects of reoccurring abuse in domestic relationships, attempts to explain why conventional assumptions about reasonableness and eminence fail to account for the real-life circumstances of the battered woman defendant. So there are people, like, on that side saying it's a disorder that can develop. 
Oh, sorry, computer. Some courts have used BWS to replace an objective standard of reasonableness with a primarily subjective standard, allowing battered women to move more easily and oftentimes successfully argue self-defense, even though no immediate threat would have been found under traditional legal theories. So, kind of like a legal loophole, almost. However, the traditional reasonableness and eminence requirements are crucial components of the self-defense law precisely because they help ensure that only unavoidable killings are justified, which is what me and you were just saying a second ago. One can hardly argue that a sleeping abuser presents a truly unavoidable threat. Hence, courts that stretch the traditional self-defense requirements to accommodate battered women distort the traditional elements of the law and may encourage violent self-help. On the other hand, jurisdictions that refuse to allow battered women who preemptively kill to claim self-defense, thus resulting in murder or manslaughter convictions, may be out of step with notions of substantive, er, substantive justice. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> the record number of pardons and communications in recent years for battered women convicted of murder reveals that this is most likely the case therefore neither approach is you know really satisfying Successful. yeah but that's my background if you want to what what we're changing it up Change i'm going to take up. it wicka 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 rewind rewind so my episode i believe was called the love triangle and it was like season 10, episode 8 on Snapped. And no, we're not being sponsored by Snapped to promote Snapped at all. So, Snapped, you can go fuck yourself. If you want to try to sue us, we're broke as shit. If you want to beat down 2000 Subaru Impreza, sounds good. We got two of them out front. You could have them both. That's cool for me. <laughs> no, Don't not the sue new me. one. No, the, well, they could have Spencer's broken one. Ruby Subi? <laughs> yeah. I think fuck. she would be happy with them taking it away probably i mean yeah we Anyways. just really really like this show and they should be happy for the exactly you're getting free promotion or marketing or whatever the fuck you want to call it yes anyways whoa that's my cold pack oh, thing it feels so good i know that's why i took it out of the freezer mm. all right so mine's called love triangle sabrina lemon lemon i don't know is that how you say the last name lemon 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 I, I think it's lemon Okay. Anyways, uh, the story is about Sabrina and Jonathan. Uh, the case was actually in Kern County, and I believe, oh. from what I believe, oh, fuck, I really need to do better research because I don't remember dates. I think it was 2017 is when Jonathan was convicted in like okay. October. So I think a year before that, Sabrina was convicted. And Kern County isn't super super far away from Bakersfield. Oh, shit. Yeah, so That's all a the, scary area. Yeah, all the info that I pulled was pretty much from Bakersfield.com. They had, like... Bakersfield.com? Yeah, they had, like, a little... I don't know, like... A journalist did a story about how fucked up the case was and okay. how, like, it grabbed the attention of the county and why it grabbed the attention of the county. And there's a couple fucked up things. They try to use the Bible to justify, like, what they did. Oh, I don't like and, that. Yeah, there is, like... Yeah, I, I'll get into the case. Hold okay. On. So, yeah, I was right. It was episode 10, or season 10, episode 8. There it is. It's right here in my notes. So, uh, Sabrina and John had an ongoing affair for months. And uh, evidently, John traveled to Robert's workplace and shot that motherfucker up. <gasps> yeah, he traveled to John's workplace in Tehachapi on 
August 17, 2014, and shot him to death. What a dick. Yep, and prosecutors were stating that Sabrina had conspired with John and had planned the murder. So, with that being said, they did. They definitely conspired, but the fucked up part was was that the shooting of Sabrina's husband wasn't their original plan. Okay. Yeah, Sabrina had, like, maintained during the, her entire testimony that she knew nothing about the plot to kill her husband, but the jurors found that Sabrina was a fucking liar, and she was stupid as shit. Okay. Because investigators actually had recorded hours and hours of wiretap between the two. Oh my like, God. hours. And there is some, like, fucked up shit. So if you guys have time, hop on YouTube and Google Ugh. Sabrina uh, Lemons. It's S-A-B-R-I-N-A-L-I-M-O-N. And you could do, huh? Limon. And you could Google full verdict, and they talk about some some dumb shit. It's fucking retarded. But. That term is not politically correct anymore. What term? Retarded. Oh, my God. I'm sorry, people. I apologize about that. I'm just saying. It hurts. Anyways, it does. You're all right. Uh. The juror also found it to be true that Sabrina had used a burner phone to communicate with John in efforts to avoid detection by law enforcement. And that was another stupid thing because law enforcement pretty much sat back, or the prosecutors pretty much sat back, I mean, during the court trial, and they're, like, letting her maintain the fact that, you know, she had no communication, she never planned this, and then they're like, oh, yeah, by the way... um, (laughs) <laughs> we got all this on tape. Just made so. it look so bad. <laughs> exactly. And then the fucked up part was was John said during his uh, testimony that Sabrina had convinced him that Robert needed to die so they could marry and raise her children and be godful people. What? Yeah. So during like a couple of their phone calls that were recorded by the wiretap, mm-hmm. they're like reciting Bible verses to each other as in like reference of why Robert had to be gone and how they're justifying killing him. And yeah, I'm not going to get onto it. I could go to Proverbs and all that, but I'm, I'm not going to. I'm good off that too. Yeah, exactly. That's kind (laughs) of, I was like, man, script. So the biggest thing that like captured a lot of attention in the John's testimony is that he and, Sabrina first attempted to poison her husband with arsenic-laced banana pudding. I would have been so pissed. Banana pudding? You're going to fuck me up like that? (laughs) No. Fuck you. Uh, He said he had ordered the arsenic online and sprinkled it into the pudding. He then gave the pudding to Sabrina to place in his husband's lunch. They abandoned the plan because they were afraid of getting caught. So the motherfucker just drove up to the job site and just shot him, like, six times. That's way less, you know, conspicuous. Yeah. And that's my case. So Sabrina (laughs) was 39 when she was convicted of first-degree murder, amongst other charges. I think she was charged of four of the six terms that she was sentenced to. Does that make sense? Or charged with, not sentenced to. She was sentenced to four of the six charges. Okay. There we go. Holy shit, that was hard (laughs) to get out. 
And she was 39. She's serving 25 years to life in uh, women's prison in Chowchilla. Oh, Chowtown. Yeah. And Jonathan Hurren was 28, a former Redlands firefighter, and was oh, sentenced wow. to 25 years and four months in prison for accepting a plea, or after accepting his plea agreement, in which he admitted to gunning down Robert, which is Sabrina's husband. So he and Sabrina could be together. Was it worth it, Jonathan? Was it worth it? I don't think so. But like I was saying, I didn't. The case was a lot longer because they went into all like the Bible verses and how they went biblical and why they were trying to justify the K or the killing and all that crap. And I wasn't about that. But at the same time, there was like three or four different aspects that I really liked about it. He was a firefighter. It was Kern County. It was the most recent one. And it was trippy. I ain't about that Bible life. <clears throat> no, I just don't really want to talk about it all. I agree with you. Well, I'm glad yours was kind of short because mine's kind of long. Mm-hmm. And um, you see how I kept going, like, in order, and I was on top of my notes, and I didn't really skip around a lot because everything was there in order for me? Yes, you did a good job. I did? Mm-hmm. Thank you. I just <laughs> wanted to hear you say that. <laughs> And I was Everybody go online and tell Wade he did a good job. Please. <laughs> he needs it for his self-confidence. Uh, I was just going to say, ego, my self-confidence is great. <laughs> oh, my God. Mm-hmm. That's going to have people complimenting you. Poorly or positively? My ego is so big. Compliment me more. Exactly. Stroke that big ego. Oh, my goodness. Anyways, continue, please. All right. So, my story is... The story of Gail Bennett, and she was on season three, episode 12. Gail Bennett just sounds like a bitch. She's not, though. She's not, though? No. It doesn't, doesn't not sound like bitchy name? No, you're going to feel so bad that you said that. Am I really? Yeah. Good. Make me feel bad, then. Okay, I will. Um, from the moment little Gail entered the world, she had to fight tooth and nail for everything that she had. I already feel bad. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, she was the eldest of four siblings growing up in Waco, Texas. Ooh, Texas. Waco. She and her family grew up dirt poor and really struggled. In 1969, she ran away with her high school sweetheart. Um, and she left the chicken farm that (coughs) her and her family grew up on. She never looked back. Her biggest dream when she was little was to be a wife and mother, so that's exactly what she did. She eloped with her husband, the like right out of her senior year of high school after she graduated. Gail gave birth to a baby girl named Melissa, and that was very shortly after she got married. But only a few years into the marriage, it ended in divorce. Gail met her second husband, Michael, while attending college in Waco during the 1970s. So she wasted no time. (laughs) During this union, she birthed another child. Unfortunately, the marriage dissolved rather quickly as well. Single and 36 at at this point, Gail took a job as a secretary at a legal office in Austin in 1988. What was that? A secretary? Secretary. Secretary. There you go. Receptionist. I just kept rolling, and then I got to a point where I was like, okay, now it's been too long. I can't correct myself, so. Oh, I'll correct you for her. <laughs> All right, thank you. I'm much appreciated. Yep, yep. Gail really enjoyed working as a secretary <laughs> at the legal office. 
She was out with some girlfriends later that year after getting the job. They were some co-workers of hers. And Gail is, you know, now a two-time divorcee. And she met smooth-talking vacuum salesman Tony Bennett. Fuck yeah. Nothing. I sold Kirby vacuums. What, what? Door to door. So did Anissa, actually. Hell yeah, Kirby, all the way, fool. I didn't know you sold those, too. Yep. You and Anissa both did that, and Anissa was, like, top in her region or whatever. She kicked I, ass at selling motherfucking vacuums. I definitely wasn't. Yeah. No, no, not at all. I feel like that would be hard. But, you My know, mom bought one from me. What? They're expensive. They are. At least you sold one. Yep, that was the only one I sold, was to my mama. <laughs> Hell yeah. Good looking out, mom. She's listening to this podcast, so if you're not, you're not hearing this, and that's going nowhere. Does so. she listen? Yeah. She got Spotify and everything. She what? listens. Oh, mm-hmm. thank you, Cindy. You're the fucking best. Hey, she best. calls me every time she wants to listen to it. She goes, how do I get there? I don't know. And I'm like, fuck, I need to do like a detailed step-by-step. Well, we can have draw a diagram. follow it on Spotify, and then it'll pop up. I know, it does now. Okay. But before, she, like, searched it and didn't, like, I don't know. She's the real MVP. My mom won't even talk to me about this podcast. Oh, my mom thinks it's great. She doesn't like it, like, some of it, but <laughs> she thinks it's great that we work together and then we sit in this hot room together for 45 minutes to an hour and we discuss murders and she thinks it's cool. It's great. I don't know why she thinks it's cool. I think it's great. I'm just doing it so I'm on your good side and I don't get murdered. Good choice. That's what I thought. I don't think our mic's good enough to pick that up. Go fund me account for a new <laughs> mic. <laughs> uh, Patreon? Should we create Yeah, Patreon? I think so. Nah. We can make merch. That would be fun. I do want Give a me a Sharpie I want a sticker. And some... Pop socket? Ooh. We should All just right. buy two All pop sockets for us, because can... that's the only people that are going to want to buy them i will continue but she's like "Ooh, vacuum salesman tony bennett hella hot yeah excited yeah you make a shit ton of money bro Mm -hmm. they were instantly attracted to one another gail first noticing tony's mad skills on the dance floor what say what tony made a great first impression on her friends and family and during month two of dating gail made tony husband number three she done chloe kardashian did Wow. I think Chloe married Lamar way sooner than two months, though. Wow. What? You're really going to talk about that? Chloe's going to listen to this and she's going to be super mad that you're talking about her life. Oh, yeah, I'm sure Chloe Kardashian listens to our fucking podcast. (laughs) (laughs) With Tony's financial support, Gail quit her job at the law firm. Both of Gail's children were living with her baby daddies at the time, so all of Gail's time was devoted completely to Tony at this point. He was her entire world. Everything started out great at first. Gail and Tony would often pile into her pickup truck and drive down to the local honky-tonk for a little dancing. (laughs) (laughs) And that sounds fun to me. I want to go to the honky-tonk for a little dancing. I'm down. Hmm. I'll go swing you around. Hell yeah. And, you know, they both really liked doing that. It was something that they both really enjoyed. Was honky-tonk dancing? Yeah. At a bar that they know by the smell? Yes. That's oh, part of the song. Oh. You didn't get it. Anyways. <laughs> Continuing. Uh, perfect. <laughs> but it, as Gail would soon discover, where there was dancing, there was almost always booze, which, fair. That, that is true. They discussed this topic in depth, her and Tony did, and Tony had agreed to slow down on the drinking. 
After all, Tony was providing and taking care of Gail. He went to work every day, so Gail gave him some leniency. But unfortunately, Tony turned into an awful guy when he drank. Things continued to get worse for two stormy years. In February 1990, Gail divorced Tony. So now she's been divorced three times. She simply could not live like that anymore. He was abusive. It sounded like he was a piece of shit. A few months later, Tony's company transferred him to Archer City, which is in Texas as well, and it's just outside of Wichita Falls. Even though the divorce was finalized, Tony proved why he was top salesperson in his region. Even if it was only for, you know, selling stupid fucking vacuums. He convinced Gail to give him another shot and for Gail to move up with him to Archer City. But as Gail would soon discover, where there was dancing... Oh, I just went over that paragraph already. <laughs> it's like, what time is it right now? It's like 10.30 at night. Motherfucker, you woke me up. I'm sorry. Let me try that again. <laughs> they were only apart for three months that's what i meant to say um so they had been separated and living apart for three months this guy was a manipulative motherfucker um what manipulative motherfucker motherfucker he was you ain't got no style motherfucker <laughs> he said all the right things though to get her to like move back and Gail moving back was contingent on the fact that Tony had swore up and down that he had gotten his drinking under control, finally. Okay, Blaine Contreras. Oh, <laughs> you just name-dropped a last name, too. That's true. I mean, I don't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, that was, never mind. <laughs> I'm just going to continue. Yeah, it sounds good. <laughs> In May, Gail moved to Archer City to be with Tony. <clears throat> but as Gail soon found out, Tony's drinking was anything but under control. Shortly after moving, Gail realized that none of Tony's behavior had changed one bit. If anything, it had gotten worse. On July 2nd, 1990, Gail had gone to Wichita Falls with Tony for a dinner with one of Tony's business partners. After having some drinks with dinner, during which Tony got drunk and continually berated Gail in front of his business partner, Tony wanted to continue to stay out and drink and party that night. Concerned with how the night was already going, Gail asked Tony to take her home, and he agreed to do that. He definitely was not happy about it, but he did agree to take her home. Back home, Gail ripped into Tony, rightfully so, and told him he hadn't changed and that she wanted to move back to Austin, which is where she was living before she moved up to Archer City with him. He immediately flew into a drunken rage, grabbing her by the hair and hitting her. At one point, he even broke her glasses, and she told Tony that she was dialing 911. <laughs> And he responded to that by walking around the house and pulling every single phone they had out of the wall one by one. And this is pre-cell phone people, so he just ripped out every single lifeline she had to the outside world, which is terrifying. Gail ran out to her pickup truck in the driveway. Tony emerged seconds later clutching his twenty-two caliber rifle. He then looked at her, licked around he was holding in his hand, and said, and I quote, this one's for you, baby, before loading the round and pointing the rifle directly at her. So he, like, licks it and then sticks it in there and chambers it and points it at her. 
Um, so, super fucking theatrical, super dramatic, super scary. At the same time he was doing this, Gail, clearly being the badass bitch that she is, reached under her truck seat for her thirty-eight caliber pistol. In her words, she said, I just blindly fired out of the window. It was a split-second decision. And she was on her episode, so she actually, like, spoke during parts of it. So that was her. And remember, Tony broke her glasses, so she was quite literally firing blind when she got the gun out from the seat. She pointed it at him, fired. Tony hit the ground following the shot, and Gail hit the gas. Little did she know, this violent dispute was only the beginning of her problems that evening. So she drove off. She found a payphone and she immediately dialed 911. So she wasn't really doing anything sketchy. That happened. She drove straight to a payphone, called the cops. She frantically told the dispatcher to send help for her husband. This dispatcher told Gail to stay put where she was. During this time, Tony had crawled across the street to a neighbor's house for help because his stupid controlling ass had pulled every single phone out of the wall so he couldn't even call 911 for himself. I forgot. <laughs> Fuck Sorry. that guy. Sorry. <laughs> That's what you deserve. It is funny. Um, it is fucking God funny. damn it. That bit him in the ass. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah, it did. And, again... Being the asshole he is, instead of trying to, like, knock on the window or whatever, he threw a charcoal barbecue through a plate glass front window to get their attention. Traumatic. Right? Um, but, okay, that makes no sense. He crawled across the street, yes. and then he stood up when he got across Didn't the street. Didn't stand up. I think he grabbed it by the bottom and, like, like you know, swung it through the window. Like, I don't think he stood up or anything. He probably just knocked it through the window. Okay, okay. He was just trying to make noise, and he fucking broke their entire I just front imagine a grown window. man crawling and then getting to the front yard and being like, fuck it, stands up, and just <laughs> picks up the barbecue pit and chucks it. Instead of just, like, knocking. knocking. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. When the sheriff's department and ambulance showed up at the house, Tony actually wasn't in crazy bad shape, considering what had happened. When they found him, Tony was sitting on the back porch, drinking whiskey and smoking a cigarette, gaping chest wound in tow. <laughs> so he like, got shot in the chest? Yes. And he's smoking a cigarette? Yes. That's something I probably would have done. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, fuck, That's probably something hurt I so bad. Like, fuck this, drinking whiskey, smoking. <laughs> Big ass 38 round in his chest? Well, and the thing is, no, it, the round wasn't in, in his chest. Tony was wearing a metal pin in his shirt. And that had taken the brunt of the shot that Gail had fired at him. So he was extremely lucky. So it, like, deflected it. It did graze him, but it didn't lodge in his chest, and it took a lot of the impact. That's some shit you see on, like, fucking James Bond. Or like Ripley's, the lighter. believe it or not, or yeah, some shit. Yeah, the lighter was in the way, or the yeah. titanium phone was in the chest pocket. Yeah. Like, <laughs> titanium phone in the chest pocket. It sounds like a game of a clue. That was Mythbusters. Was it? Yeah. Oh, I loved that show. Bring back Mythbusters. <laughs> they did, and it's shitty. It is shitty. Now they it's have not them. Adam Savage's extreme builds or whatever. That's kind of cool. Okay. I'll like he actually that. does like an Iron Man suit. I love him. Yeah. I feel like I should be getting paid for this shit. I'm promoting people like, I bet you our listeners, if we have any, do we have listeners? We have listeners, right? Yes, but not enough to warrant Adam Savage giving a fuck about us. 
Well, Adam Savage, I care about you. You should care about me too, sir. We got way off topic. Oh, yeah. yeah. This dude was extremely lucky. His pin saved his life, basically. He was extremely intoxicated. Surprise, surprise. And when asked by detectives what had happened, he would only reply that his ex-wife had shot him for absolutely no reason. His ex-wife. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they got divorced. They did they? get yeah. divorced, yes. Yeah. So this guy's a winner. Officer Presley Lamar Pippin was... <laughs> what? He's Pippin. Pippin. <laughs> oh, Pippin. Pippin. P-I-P-P-I-N. Still sounds like Pippin. And this guy's a fucking dick. Don't call him that. Trust me, you'll see why. Um, Officer Presley Lamar Pippin was on the scene, and after assisting in loading up Tony into the ambulance, he went to pick up Gail himself to question her. After picking Gail up at the Wichita Falls Police Department, because she had been, I assume, picked up from that payphone she was at and taken to the police department, he drove her to her house, and it was around 3 a.m. A few minutes later, Pippin pulled back into her driveway in his patrol car, which initially made Gail, you know, feel a little bit more safe and breathe a sigh of relief, kind of, because she was understandably not stoked to be in the house by herself. Yeah. And the hospital had said that the chest wound was going to keep him at least overnight, so she was pretty sure he'd be in the hospital. But still, like, he pointed a gun at her head. Yeah. She was scared. He said he was there, Officer Pippin did, to make sure that she was okay, which she initially thought was, you know, kind of sweet. And she did say, like, it was a smaller community, a smaller town, which she had never really lived in before, so she thought that the officer was just taking special interest in her because not a lot was going on and... You know, personal connection, small community, blah, blah, blah. Pippin and Gail sat on the porch for hours, but Pippin never left, and Gail began to feel uneasy. And at one point in the episode, I remember her saying that he had mentioned that he was, like, off the clock. So why the fuck at 3, 4, 5 in the morning are you at somebody's house that you ran a call for off the clock? It's just weird. Finally, she tells him that she has to get some sleep, and Pippin states that he will keep an eye outside from his patrol car as, you know, she starts to go to sleep, and that he'll check, like, the windows and the doors and stuff and make sure everything's locked. So she was like, you know, okay, whatever, that's fine. She goes, lays down in her clothes, she's too tired to even take any of them off, and she's not sure how long she was asleep, but she awakens to Pippin standing over her bed completely nude. Gail asked what in the fuck he was doing, and he responds, something that will make us both feel better. Mind you, again, this girl was just, like, had the shit beat out of her by her ex-husband, had a gun pointed at her, shot him, and now this motherfucker is gonna rape her. So, this guy's really a piece of shit, and he knows everything that happened because he ran the damn call. Pippin then burst proceeds to rape Gail and threaten her with prosecution for shooting Tony if she ever told a soul about the rape. He then forces Gail to shower, presumably to hide physical evidence of the rape. This guy's just the fucking worst. This story just took a turn. Yeah. Twisty, twisty. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Um... Shortly after, a grand jury saw Gail's shooting case against Tony, which he survived from, by the way, so he was just fine. Nothing happened. She was acquitted on all counts. 
She then packed up and moved back to Austin and just dipped the fuck out of there. In October 1990, a month after the grand jury's ruling that acquitted her, a Texas Ranger and District Attorney investigator walked into the Archer County Sheriff Department and right into Pippin's office and arrested him for criminal sexual assault, baby. Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. Gail may not have ever initiated the investigation if Pippin hadn't, um, or if Pippin, if Pippin had stopped at the sexual assault. So, like, if that's all that would happen, that, if that's all that happened, if he would have just raped her, like, she would have let it go. Um, but the following months after the rape and the shooting happened, Pippin relentlessly contacted her, called her, you know, was just being a fucking creepo. Gail was nervous to press charges. Understandably, Pippin wielded a lot of power and could seemingly do and say what he wanted. In 1991, it was Pippin's turn in front of the grand jury. Pippin was on a first-name basis with nine out of the 12 jurors. Needless to say, he wasn't worried. The jury actually explicitly asked him if he wanted to be indicted so he could prove his innocence or dismiss so the ordeal would be done and over with. Can you believe that? Wow. Yeah, they asked him what he wanted. (laughs) They fucking left the decision up to him, and he obviously chose the latter to have the case dismissed. Gail was outraged and consulted with an attorney, which, hell yeah, girl. They then filed a federal suit against Pippin, stating he violated her civil rights, which he totally did. Two and a half years later, Dallas federal judge Joe Kendall agreed to hear the case. February 16, 1995, the non-jury federal trial began. It boiled down to a case of he said, she said, with no hard evidence on either side. Gail gave her account of what actually happened on the stand, while Pippin claimed he did indeed have sex with Gail that evening, though it was entirely consensual. Um, that's the same story he had told before, where his case was dismissed. Because every woman wants to fuck an old, ugly sheriff after having to shoot her ex-husband, right? And getting the shit beat out of her? That's... That's typical. Yeah. Of course, it's always heard of Totally about. makes sense. This guy's a fucking garbage can of a human being, I swear. Pippin stated he could tell Gail wanted it by, like, the way she, like, offered him tea and, like, smoked her cigarette. Like, this guy's fucking delusional. He's fucking delusional. And if she was so opposed to the idea of sleeping with Pippin, she, and I quote, would have put up more of a fight. Seriously. That was their defense. Pippin's story obviously sounded absurd to the courtroom. Like, he just looked like a monster. He just made himself look like one. And, no, Gail did not bear bruises or scratches on her body from the rape. But, remember, Pippin does not have to use, you know, brute force on Gail at this point. She told Pippin, I don't want to do this over and over again while he was raping her. But he's a part of the department investigating the shooting of Tony that happened that same night, and she, you know, he had threatened her with that. Judge Kendall, it just so happened, was a retired sheriff himself, and was perplexed as to why Pippin was even fraternizing with Gail at all. On February 19th, 1991, it took two minutes after closing arguments to hand down the verdict, guilty, He awarded Gail a million dollars in punitive damages to be paid by Pippin and another million 
to be shared by Pippin and Archer County to be paid to her as well. Um, in a court of appeals, that reward was dropped to an undisclosed lower amount, but Gail said at the end of the episode, she was like, it wasn't about the money for me, like, it was just about something being done so this didn't happen to anybody else. So yeah. she is a queen. Queen. Well done. Well, that is, uh, that is our episode. I might as well go through all the social media stuff. Booze, bullshit, and true crime. Facebook and Instagram. Please send us stuff. I know, what the fuck, people? What the fuck? Stories, critiques, ideas, you know, episodes that you want to hear, but mostly stories. I want to hear creepy stories. I want to hear hometown murder stories. I want to hear weird stuff. I want to hear alien, Bigfoot, all of it. Send it to me. Booze, BS, and true crime at gmail.com booze bs and true crime at gmail.com well i think that's it folks good night later Goodbye. Gator.